The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let's continue to worship God by hearing from His Word. Our passage this morning is Leviticus chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Leviticus, the third book in the Bible, chapter 16. Leviticus 16, the whole chapter this morning. Let's now hear the Word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and your brother, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for the house and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side and in front of the mercy seat. He shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions 
all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of all the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garment that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he, sh and he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month of the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, have you ever had a mountaintop experience? You know, it's an experience that uh, you can't 
forget it was as if you were on a mountain peak. Experiencing the greatest beauty, perhaps, maybe the most serene and peaceful event you have ever gone through, the most mystifying moment, the most exhilarating and satisfying time in your life. Really a high point that you can never forget and one that you just want to keep coming back to. Uh, Perhaps it was the closest to heaven that you ever felt, or even the closest to God. Well, this is what we have going on in Leviticus 16. In fact, what we have in our chapter is the mountaintop experience. The mountaintop experience of all mountaintop experiences. Now you may be saying, okay, wait a minute. How is this a mountaintop experience? This is a priest entering a tent. How is this a mountaintop experience if he's not climbing the mountain like Moses did? Well, this is because that cloud of God's presence that was on top of the mountain on top of Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, where Moses entered into in order to meet with God and see his glory, that visible representation of God, that glory cloud, at the end of the book of Exodus, comes down and descends into this tent of meeting, into the most holy place, so that now God's presence that was on the mountaintop is in this tent. And so to enter this tent is to ascend that hill of the Lord when God's presence was on that mountain. And this is why the Psalms parallel entering the tent with ascending the hill of the Lord. Psalm 15 says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? In parallelism, it asks, then, who shall dwell on your holy hill? And in Psalm 24, God's holy hill is paralleled with the holy place. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in your holy place? Which is what we see here in Leviticus 16. The holy place of the Lord in this tent. And this is the only time that someone may enter into the very presence of God in the holy place. And so this truly is a mountaintop experience coming into the presence of God. And this is why Leviticus is structured so that this passage here is the center of the book. In fact, the whole Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus 16 is the center of it. It all points to this. This is the very high point. And no wonder verse 31 calls this day literally the Sabbath of Sabbaths. This day of atonement, Yom Kippur, is still even recognized by the Jews. You can find it on our calendars, even though they don't celebrate it today the way they did back then. But in our passage, we see that there are still many restrictions. This mountaintop experience happens only For one person in only one day out of the year. And it comes with some smoke screens, literally. He is not able to see the presence of God. 
And it's very dangerous and deadly if he doesn't do it just right. And he must come with the blood of the sacrifice. And this reveals to us the greatness of our sin and misery, the greatness of our uncleanness, and the need for Christ to open that way for us that we may enter in, which he has done. And so we're going to look at three factors of coming to God's presence. The first is our uncleanness. The second is humility. Really, it should be called humiliation. And the third, sacrifice. So the first factor to consider in coming into God's presence is our uncleanness. Verses 1 through 2, God says to Moses, After the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brothers, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So the first thing we need to notice is that this section starts off by mentioning the death of Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu's death sets the context for what God says here in chapter 16. This is because, as verse 1 says, they died when they drew near to the Lord. That is, they tried to come into his presence, likely the most holy place, given that chapter 16 here is about coming in to the most holy place within the veil. But they learned the hard way that no one can just come into the presence of God. If you do, you die. And so here in chapter 16, God informs how one may come into his presence. Now, since God spoke these words here in chapter 16 on the same day as Nadab and Abihu's death, when they came into God's presence, which we saw in chapter 10, as some scholars have wondered why chapter 16 did not come immediately after chapter 10, where we see Nadab and Abihu dying. Why did God place a large section of uncleanness laws in between? Chapters 11 through 15. Modern scholars, who are mostly unbelievers, surmise that some unknown editor must have rearranged it or slipped it in and just doesn't, didn't know what he was doing. Well, that's not true. Because we can see why God chose to arrange Leviticus this way. The reason why Nadab and Abihu were killed for trying to enter the presence of God is not merely because God is just a disciplinarian and he's all about rule keeping. And if you have a minor infraction, he's going to strike you down. Rather, it's because even though they did break God's law, it's because Nadab and Abihu are unclean. Because we, by nature, are unclean ever since the fall of Adam. And so that is why you have Nadab and Abihu dropping dead for trying to enter the presence of God. Why is that? Chapters 11 and 15, we're unclean. And then chapter 16 then says, this is how an unclean person is able to enter in. But we need to remember the storyline of the Bible. Remember that this tabernacle, this tent of meeting where the presence of God is, is a replica of the Garden of Eden, which was the first 
temple. The Garden of Eden is a special place where God met with man, where God walked with man in the cool of day. And according to Genesis 2.15, Adam was called to work and to keep this garden. Now those words, work and keep, can be translated as serve and guard. And the only time those two words are put together is to refer to the duty of a priest in the tabernacle. Adam, then, was a priest in that first special place. He was meant to guard this garden. He was meant to keep unclean things out of the garden, which he failed to do when that unclean serpent entered in. And thus Adam and Eve themselves became unclean. And what happened when they became unclean spiritually? Well, they were kicked out of the presence of God. They were still allowed to dwell on the earth, but they could not dwell in this garden, meaning this was a special place. This was the presence of God. And so man was banished from the presence of God. And do you remember what God put there at the east entrance to the Garden of Eden? The two cherubim standing across from one another who guarded the way back into God's presence. And what do we see on the veil that covers the entrance into God's presence, the most holy place in the tabernacle? We see two cherubim embroidered on there, standing across from one another to replicate the Garden of Eden. And we also see that on the Ark of the Covenant, where God says specifically, this is where I will dwell. Two angels are figured there on that Ark, standing across from one another, showing that this is the way into God's presence. And like the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle faced east. And so we see a replica of the Garden of Eden in the tabernacle. And we also see that man still is not able to enter. And this is why when Psalm 24 asks the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Or Psalm 15 asks, who may sojourn into your tent? But well, the answer is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, in Leviticus, we get an idea of who has clean hands and a pure heart, don't we? Who's lined up to enter into this holy place? Is there two lines drawn? And there's a long line of people saying, I have done it. I have clean hands and a pure heart. I'm going to enter into this holy place. No, we, don't, we see that nobody is able to enter in. Not even Aaron is able to enter in. God tells Moses in verse 2, Tell Aaron not to come in at any time into the holy place, lest he die. Aaron cannot just walk in at any time into this holy place. Not even he is clean or pure enough to enter as the high priest. But God does go on to say in verse 3, But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. So Aaron may come into God's presence, but only in a very specific way. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. 
There is a specific way to enter into God's presence. What is that way? Well, this brings us to the second factor to consider in coming into God's presence. And that is humility, or we could say humiliation. And we begin not with our humility, but with the high priest's humility. And we see this with the specific attire that the high priest is to wear only for this special occasion. Look at verse 4. He, being the high priest Aaron, shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. Now, you may notice something different from the priest's attire that's described in Exodus 28. The priest's attire that's described in Exodus 28 is described as a robe for beauty and for glory. It is decked out in beautiful blue and purple yarns and a golden sash. Here, however, we read of different attire that the high priest is to wear. He is to wear linen. He is not to wear a golden sash, but a linen sash. He only has linen garments, which would be a basic or plain white. He is wearing very humble clothes. When he comes and offers up this sacrifice, he is dressed as a slave. You would think it would be the other way around, that the one special day that he offers up this sacrifice, that day of atonement, where he is allowed to enter into God's presence, that is when you would think you would put on the most beautiful robe for this special occasion and then wear the more humble clothes during the rest of the year for his everyday ordinary service. But it's actually the other way around. Rather, he comes humbly dressed as a slave when entering into the very presence of God in order to offer up the sacrifice for sins. And brothers and sisters, what we are seeing here is we are seeing a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ in his humiliation. That our Lord Jesus Christ, in order to be our sacrifice for sins, in order to make atonement for all our sins, put on humanity. That he humbled himself by taking upon himself a human nature. As Paul says in Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. God the Son, in order to offer up the sacrifice to make atonement for our sins, had to humble himself. This is what theologians call his humiliation. Humbling himself by assuming humanity, by taking upon himself a human body, a human nature, without ceasing to be God, veiling his glory. As the Christmas hymn goes, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, 
Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. This is how our great high priest would make atonement for our sins. Our great high priest would have to come dressed in the humble garb of our very own flesh in order to offer up himself to make atonement for our sins. And in order to receive the salvation, we must humble ourselves. And this is reflected in verses 29 and 31 where God says that they are to afflict themselves in this great day of atonement. Now this doesn't mean that they need to harm themselves like a, a pagan worship service would. Rather, this basically means to humble ourselves. And then the specific Old Covenant ceremony that humility was demonstrated in the clothes they wore, their demeanor in approaching God, not joyful celebration, but subdued sobriety and fasting rather than feasting. Now for us today to humble ourselves in light of our sin simply means that we must recognize our sin and our inability to save ourselves and fully rely on the grace of God, to fully rely on the work of Christ, to not in any way doubt His work, and think for a moment in our pride that we could supplement His work, that we could do anything to make it to heaven or keep ourselves out of hell. When the Holy Spirit works grace in the heart of a sinner to grant him faith and repentance, he recognizes that he is helpless, that that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. And we mourn over our sin. We have offended God, and there's nothing that we can do. It's like the tax collector who came beating his breast, unwilling to even lift his eyes up to heaven, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. This is in contrast to the Pharisee who didn't talk about his sin at all, but is talking about everyone else's sin. If sin bothers him, it's other people's sin that bother him. He's so righteous. Why can't people be like him in, in being righteous? But that's not the way we approach God for salvation. And Jesus talks about this in the Beatitudes where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, Jesus is not talking about any in, any mourning. Everyone goes through mourning. Rather, mourning over one's sin. Recognizing that we have offended a holy God by our sin. More than anyone has ever offended us. In knowing what we deserve, but that we cannot do anything about it in ourselves. And this is why Jesus also says in those Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Literally, Spiritual beggars, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does a beggar do? He holds out his hand. Does he have anything in his hand to offer? No, he holds out his hand, not giving anything, but receiving all gratuitously. And that is the way it is in our salvation. We hold out an empty hand to God, receiving everything from him, and we have nothing to offer. In our salvation. This is how we receive salvation. And sometimes in American, in the American conservative culture, now people will give lip service to Jesus, 
because that's just part of what it means to have conservative values. Uh, they'll say the right thing. Uh, they say their prayers. They go to church, but they may have never even trusted in Christ for salvation to save them from their sin. And kids who grow up in the church, you have the right answers. You've been taught the right doctrine. Maybe some of you have prayed a prayer to receive Christ or been baptized. But it's not until you have come to realize your sinfulness and your uncleanness and your helplessness that you cannot deliver yourselves that you then depend upon Jesus. It's not just getting the answers right. It's coming to see that you cannot save yourself. That you need Jesus to save you. That you are in trouble. You're in danger for the wrath of, from the wrath of God. But that Jesus, and Jesus only, is able to save you by His work. Now a third factor of coming into God's presence is, of course, the sacrifice. But returning to verse 3, it says, But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So Aaron may not enter into the holy place except in this way and this way only by the blood of sacrifices. This is the only way to enter into God's presence is through a sacrifice. And this is also mentioned for the people in verse 5. They must bring sacrifices. And these sacrifices, the way into God's presence, are for the purpose of making atonement, as we see throughout this passage, and hence why this is called the Day of Atonement. Now remember again what atonement means. It means to be at one with God. That is to have peace restored with God. The thing that brought separation has been dealt with. And of course, that's sin. And, you know, we get a, a small picture of this, and I'm not trying to be trite here, but I think this is something that many of us can relate to. You know, husbands make their wives mad and then try to smooth things over by buying flowers. Not to say that that works, but it's a picture of how can I make things right again? Here's some flowers, and I hope that this is going to make it right, that we'll be at peace again. Well, there's a separation between us and God. And it's not flowers that God wants. It's bloodshed. Something needs to violently die in order for us to be at peace with God again. That is the sacrifice that is offered on our behalf, this is because the wages of sin is death. And nothing short of that will satisfy God. This is the way into His presence. Only through the death of a sacrifice. And so Aaron sheds the blood of the bull for himself. But before he goes into the most holy place, he has to burn the right incense in order to create a smoke screen. So he does not look upon the mercy seat. And this shows that God is of two holy eyes to look at sinful man. God 
is of too pure of eyes to look at evil. And man is too sinful to look upon God. Therefore, in order to protect himself from dying, he needs to create this smoke screen so he doesn't look upon the presence of God. And then he sprinkles the mercy seat seven times. This indicates that this offering is being offered up to God because God is the one who is offended. God is the one to whom the sacrifice is offered up. And of course, the number seven indicates perfect atonement is made by the blood and the sprinkling seven times. Then Aaron makes atonement for the people with the sacrifices offered up on their behalf. They are to bring two goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And I only want to focus on the two goats. In these two goats, we get two different aspects of the work of Christ. The two goats are brought before God and lots are cast to determine which goat is used for what. Verse 15 says that Aaron kills the first goat and does the same with its blood as with the bull he offered up for himself. And after Aaron makes atonement with the blood of the first goat, he then presents the other goat. Verse 21 says that Aaron lays his hands on the goat, the head of the goat, and confesses all the sins of Israel, likely in categories. Otherwise, he'd be there all day. And then when, when Joe you know, uh, stole that thing from his neighbor and Obviously, he's just talking in, in categories, perhaps going through the uh, each law, uh, each commandment. But this indicates the imputation of sin to the goat. That is, the goat is getting credit for the, the sins of the people. The sins are being placed on the goat who will now bear them, as verse 22 says. And we read at the end of verse 21 and into verse 22 that the goat is sent out into the wilderness. The wilderness is the place that represents the curse. It's the opposite of a garden. It's the place of the curse. Now, verses 8 through 10 say that the goat is for Azazel, which we don't know, we don't know exactly what that means. Uh, some have suggested that it's a demon. And if that's the case, then it would only refer to the place of demons, the realm of Satan and the curse and not an offering to demons. Uh, again, the wilderness, the opposite of the garden, is the place of the curse. So this pictures God sending our sins to hell on somebody else who bears them. Some have said that Azazel could mean a rocky place, which is possible, or that it's a combination of the Hebrew verb Azel, meaning to send away, and then the Hebrew noun Ez, meaning goat. So you put those two together, you get Azazel. And so this is a sending away goat, traditionally translated as a scapegoat in our English. Whatever the word means, we clearly see the picture here. Another has our sins imputed to him. And he bears them. He takes the blame for them and is sent to the realm of death on account of them. This is where we get the idea of scapegoat. Someone else has taken the blame for our sins. And of course, this points to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is that scapegoat. Our sins were imputed to him. They were placed on him and he got credit for them. And then he bears them upon himself and he carries them to the place of death and the, and the curse, which is on the cross, not going to hell itself, but bearing hell on the cross for us, 
bearing the shame we deserve, bearing the wrath of Almighty God. All our sins were placed on Him and so that not one of them would ever fall on us. And I want you to think about this for a moment. In this picture of the scapegoat, God invites us in the Gospel to blame someone else for our sins. Not to say that we don't confess them or own up to them, but rather to place the blame for our sin on someone else. The Gospel invites us to not carry the blame for our sins ourselves. The Gospel says you do not need to carry the blame. You do have a scapegoat. Where Adam and Eve try to shift the blame, God says you can do that in the Gospel. You can do that by only placing them on Christ. But we tend to shift the blame on everything else but Christ, don't we? On our circumstances, on our spouse, on others, in order to justify our sin. We're trying to find a way to be blameless by blaming others. But the Gospel says you can put the blame on someone. And He will take it for you. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ who is that scapegoat. And so we own up to our sin because we have no excuse for it. But we can relinquish all that blame by having Christ our scapegoat take it for us on the cross, being sent away for us so that we are forever justified before God, standing blameless before Him. Because Christ took all the blame for us. And this is how our uncleanness is dealt with before God. As verse 16 says, Thus he, Aaron, shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. This is why this is all happening. This is why this is all happening. Because of the uncleannesses of the people, because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. This is how our uncleanness is dealt with, so that we have clean hands and a pure heart. It's the work of Christ alone, so that we may ascend the hill of the Lord, so that we may sojourn into his tent. As we see from the text here, there is one way and only one way. And that is through the high priest humbling himself and offering up that perfect sacrifice to make atonement for our sins and our sins being placed on someone else who takes all the blame, sending our sins away to the place of the curse on someone else. And this is how we are clean, as God declares in verse 30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins because of the sacrifice of the high priest. And we have something better than what they had under the old covenant. You see in verse 34, it says they need to repeat this every year. Which shows that these old covenant sacrifices were not sufficient. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to be offered over and over again. 
And even with this, the people could not enter the most holy place. Only the high priest could, and only once a year. Otherwise, he would instantly drop dead. But this picture here in Leviticus puts into perspective the incredible blessing of what we have in Christ. We can enter that holy place, the true heavenly one. As Hebrews 10 says, we have confidence to enter into that very holy place. We have been forever cleansed by the blood of Christ and have bold and confident access to Him, even, even when we sin. Hebrews 4 says we can still draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in a time of need. Let me ask you, when do you need mercy and grace? All the time, when we've sinned. It doesn't say you may enter with confidence when you have enough righteousness in your own. No, even to receive grace and mercy. We have confidence and boldness to stand before God and approach Him even when we have sinned because of our great high priest. It doesn't testify to the greatness of ourselves, but to the all-sufficient work and merit of Christ. His work is great. Therefore, we can have that confidence to enter into even that holy place. Even that holy place. This is a greater blessing than, than being able to enter into the president's office and make ourselves at home. This is like, this, like his son being able to run in and sit right on his lap. This is what we have as sons of God who are beloved who are holy, who are cleansed. We have that boldness to draw near to God, even when we have fallen into sin. And so in the words of Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near, draw near to God. That is the true mountaintop experience that our hearts have longed for, for our God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us in our unbelief. As a lot of times we waver in our confidence and in our confession, thinking I have to do something to clean myself up, self up that I may have clean enough hands and a pure enough heart to enter into your presence. Oh, Father, forgive us for that unbelief. And may we have our full confidence in Christ, knowing that it is not us that we place our confidence in, but rather in Christ, who has forever cleansed us by His blood, that we stand before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. May we continue to believe this gospel without wavering. And as a result of a cleansed conscience, serve you with hands and hearts. 
that have been purified by the blood of Christ. Serving you genuinely and truly out of gratitude for what you have done. Knowing that we may draw near to you with confidence. Because we have a great high priest who humbled himself. Who stands for us. Who offered up himself for us. So that we may be called your sons. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.